Hello, welcome to episode 34 of the Endurance Asia podcast. I'm your host, Scott Pugh, and this week Rick and I are joined by Lynn Patterson, aka Red, who is another impressive Kiwi who just a few years ago took on a truly crazy expedition of kayaking the full circumference of New Zealand. So that's the North and South Island, over 6,000 kilometers in, uh, in what took her over 430 days and, uh, and yeah, in one continuous expedition. Just a, a, a truly incredible, uh, incredible story. And uh, so, so Lynn joins us to tell her about why she took it on and, uh, and how she took it on and, and, and the progress she made. And uh, you can actually follow and, and, and check out the, the route that she took. Uh, I recommend checking out her, um, her website, which is um, uh, Red's NZ Journey. That's R-E-D-Z NZ Journey. And um, uh, the link is in the in the show notes as well. But to actually like look on the map and follow the route round as a, as you listen to her story just puts it into absolute context. Um, I've just uh, finished up doing uh, another round the island, n- not quite as uh, as grandiose, but um, but well, I say I haven't. I uh, I was joining a guy called John Henry, uh, um, a French ultra runner that's been living in Singapore for the last year, but he just uh, smashed out a hundred and fifty kilometre uh, run around Singapore uh, Singapore Island, which uh, he did it in like sixteen hours fifty minutes. Was was just an truly impressive run um but kind of also puts into context just uh just how impressive this kayaking expedition that red went on um literally like like well over a year and and 6000 kilometers just a just a, an absolute like mammoth they, they talk about it as the the everesting of uh, of kayak adventures um so yeah get stuck into the story this is uh this is Lynn Patterson aka red Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Red, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm like actually quite excited. Yeah, no, we're, well, we're thrilled to have you on. We, uh, we first came across you, I think, you were, you were giving a talk, an online talk to the Royal Geographical Society here in Singapore. Yeah. Maybe you could start just giving us a bit of background on what it is you what it is you've done i feel like if we were to do it we probably couldn't do it couldn't do it full justice i'm always told that i'm very humble about it so i'll i'll try and ramp it up um i've kayaked around the coastline of new zealand solo which is just on 6000 kilometers um i planned to do it in 180 days you know we always set a date and it ended up taking me 432 days so instead of it being a, a journey it became more of an odyssey um, and there were many highs and lows along the way. And I started out raising money for Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand um, to talk about the fact that exercise is the best medicine in the world for, for everybody, including the people who, who suffer from mental health. So 
So that's the background of the story. You know, I'm, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I um, Yes, I'm athletic and yes, I've trained and done more than, than most people, you know, run marathons and, you know, the triathlons and, and, and other lives sort of, you know, done a lot of things. But the ocean has always drawn me and, and there's a really funny story about how I decided I wanted to do it um, for the Royal Society, you know, the Singapore Society. I um, have this story saying that when I was a kid, I was told by my mum that there's no such word as can't. And... You just remove the T and it becomes can. So I use that in a very pig-headed, red-head way for most of my life. Um, sadly, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit scared when someone issues the word, I, you can't, because something goes ping <laughs> in my head and I go, oh, yeah, I can. And away I go. So I try and block my ears now when someone says that you can't do something. So yeah, I set off in 2000 and end of 2015 after a huge amount of training. Um, the dream had been in my head probably 10 years before I actually gave myself a kick in the butt and, and went out there and did it. Um, and yeah, so, so off I went, um, hoping that I'd last 10 days because it scared, scared the um, bejesus out of me really. Uh, so I just thought about every day was a training day. That, that's how I set out. That's, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe we just kind of repeat that, that intro again a bit more slowly because it's an absolutely astounding achievement. So you kayaked solo around the entire coast of New Zealand, which is how many kilometres? Uh, 6,000 kilometres. 6,000 kilometres. And where does that put you in the, in the, in the history books? Is that, had that been done before? Um, it, yes, it has been done um, before. The history books proclaim me as the first person ever to do it without returning home. Um, there are maybe half a dozen people who've done the South Island is classed as the kayaking uh, Everest of the world um, to go around. And there are a couple of other females who have done the South Island. Uh, one other female I know of, a New Zealand girl who's done the North Island, but I'm the only one, I'm the oldest person to have attempted and achieved it, which I'm really proud about. And, and I'm the first person not to go home, ever, uh, return home the whole time. So it was um, continuously. Whereas the others, the other maybe half a dozen have done an island, gone away for a couple of years and come back and done another island. Um, and I also included Stewart Island in that, which is the little baby one down the bottom. Yeah, I, hi Reddit, Scott here. I mean, when I was um, looking through the route that you did, um, and it's on your on your site, um, Red's NZ Journey. It knows that the little island off the bottom of New Zealand. So was that all? Is that part of the actual challenge, or was that just a, a little uh, little bonus um, extra 150 kilometres that you thought you'd throw in there? Yeah, it, no, it's it's not really part of the cha challenge. In my head, it was always part of my challenge, but no one no one wanted me to attempt it um, because there's numerous people who go down and try and literally just paddle Stewart Island, which is um, 270 kilometres um, around the coastline, and they only get to one or two of the um, bays and then they have to get airlifted off because the, the weather can be so bad and you can be stuck on a beach for over a month. Um, so when I got down there, I think when I went did the crossing, four people out of my team knew that I was doing Stewart Island, even my, my key mentor, I, I dared not tell him because he was dead against me doing it. Um, and, and the story sort of goes that he watched my tracker set off that morning 
and we'd set it up so everybody thought I was actually heading off to the Fiordlands. And then he saw my tracker going straight across the, the Fovo Strait and he just went, that is the red moment in my world. Um, and he, he just said, oh, no, she's doing it. I can't believe it. Um, yeah. So the, the gods or the luck was on my side. It took me 11, 11 days to get around the coastline, um, around Stewart Island. But, no, it definitely wasn't. It was me, my partner who was doing the weather for me, um, my support person who was, you know, just pushed me off, and um, a gentleman I call Andy Warner who built my kayak. Um, we nicknamed him the master. He knew I was doing it. So there were four people. Everybody else thought I was heading up the West Coast or doing Fiordland. So, yeah, pretty, pretty like, um, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty wild down there. It's incredible. I love it. It's wild as wild. Yeah. So, Red, you're, you're obviously um, a Kiwi yourself. What's your, where did you grow up? Are you, uh, yeah, what's your, what's your Yeah, I, I grew up, I grew up on a, on a, a dairy and beef farm, so basically landlocked, but my, my dad was an incredible fisherman, loved fishing, and every summer holiday we were taken to um, the North Island, the Coromandel coastline, where he used to drag us out on the rocks to go fishing for a day, or out in a really small tin dinghy. We, you know, where only four people could fit in it and only one person moved at one time or you capsized. So it was baptism by fire. You either liked it or you suffered it because you couldn't swim home. <laughs> so and I just grew up. I just loved the ocean. Um, yeah, he used, to, he used to say to us when we were younger, you know, dive down there to the bottom of the ocean. There's some scallops somewhere down there. So off you go. Um, so I think looking back, being a farming girl, um, it sets you up to not be afraid to do anything, you know, because you, you just take everything as normal. You take running out in the paddock and bare feet as normal, dealing with cold and wet gumboots as normal, or wellingtons as you guys call them. <laughs> um, wellies, so, yeah. yeah, wellies. So it was just when people saw me launching from Auckland, which is, you know, the, the biggest city in New Zealand, I think a lot of the people in the South Island went, um, this, this person's never going to last because you end up with a media um, following you and you have a media persona, which is not really you. I, I don't know but you know about you guys, you know, there's a, there's a person that people see, but there's another person underneath that, that not really many people see. Um, and a lot of time they take you by, you know, the, the cover that you, you present. And so whereabouts in, uh, in New Zealand did you grow up then? So you're on a farm uh, in, on the North farm Island? In the, in the North Island, a place called um, Hamilton. Uh, it's the Waikato. Yeah. So a little bit, about an hour and a half south of Auckland. Yeah. It's so, interesting. It sort of echoes uh, um, a previous guest and friend of the show, Grant Axe Rawlinson, who's, uh, <laughs> who's also grew up on a farm and a tiny little farm in New Zealand. And like we've had a yeah we've had a, a few Kiwis on on the podcast and you tend to be made of like stronger stuff like I don't know what it is whether it is this sort of rugged uh, upbringing in the and it, I mean it's a pretty unforgiving outdoor lifestyle in um, in New Zealand do you think that sort of sets people up to want to be able to take on difficult challenges. I, think, I, I definitely, definitely think so because what I took as take as normal, a lot of people look and go, that, that, that's not normal, you know. Um, uh, like we were, you used to go outside and you stood on a nail and out of a board and your bare feet. It was like, well, harden up, you know, go and get a little bit of methylated spirits, put it on it. And 
and you'll be fine. I told you not to go out there and yet with bare feet. So now suffer your consequences. Um, and, and we've got to really, yeah. And so you take that as normal because you're not immersed in, in anything else. Um, and I know I, I did end up going to the city um, at, at quite a young age. And of course, being a farm girl, you thought the city and the bright lights were, were amazing. And I ended up in the UK at the age of 18, like every Kiwi person does to their big OE. And I think I landed in, in the UK and did your, you know, your OE. Uh, I ended up being away seven years. But uh, I think I was told because I can't last very long. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was away a long time. But, yeah, all those things, uh, I learned to camp with my parents, never thought anything of it. You know, I know how to put up a tent. I know how to light a fire. I think everybody knows how to do those things. I think everybody knows how to get a power off a rock or which is a, a, a type of shellfish, abalone. I, I think everybody knows how to cook pippies, which are a little, uh, same as your cockles in a way. Um, so, yeah, you sort of don't realise until you get out there and you watch others going, well, how did you catch that? It's like, well, my dad taught me to put the bait on the hook and, yeah, yeah, so. So, and Ray, you were clearly you were clearly outdoors a lot then growing up. Were you were you particularly sporty? Did you did you run or bike or anything like that? Have you flipped through a couple of pages of my book? I, I dreamed of being a ballerina. So there's a really gorgeous page on about page six of me um, wanting to be a ballerina, and I was nicknamed um, Four-Eyed Killer Whale as a child because I was quite like a Dumbo elephant. I was quite um, solid build, as my mum used to call me. Um, we were encouraged to play play a lot of sport. Um, I was a, a tennis and badminton player, and I was a really strong swimmer. Uh, so my parents were good in the fact they didn't say, oh, you can't be a ballerina. They just encouraged me to um, um, have more time doing sports and athletic things. And I, and I rode horses like all farm girls, um, and it was learned the hard way by not having a, um, a saddle by learning to ride bareback first and when you fall off and learn how to do it properly, you have to get back on. So, yeah, so it's a normal Kiwi life, we call it. Yeah, and then was that something that you, um, you carried on with as you, as you went overseas and, or did, you, did that fall away? It, it fell away as soon as you um, leave home and go flatting. Um, it fell away for a while and I, I do remember, um, I, I got married in the UK and I do remember my husband of the time encouraging me to run and I used to go out at night and run um, one lamppost uh, and then walk one lamppost so no one could see me because I was quite a quite a dumpy when I when I was over there uh, and then and then gradually I started to run I think I ran my first marathon in the UK so I, I taught myself to run um, in Walthamstow um, in Chingford and which is south which is southeast London and then, and then progress to go home, um, come back to New Zealand after about seven years. So, no, it, it did fall away. Um, but I think, I think the, the endurance in me was always there. I've always been really good at endurance. I'm not so good at sprinting. And what about other endurance sort of challenges that you're taking on then? Or was this, was this really the first thing you've done? So you've done some marathons. Um, yeah, marathons, um, um, triathlons, um, 100K hikes for charity, um, and then I just fell in love, well, I've always fallen in love with the ocean. And, and the story, the brief story goes that we were on our summer holiday with my, my partner of now, Jason, and, and we were stuck behind these um, push bike riders. You know, the ones you normally are stuck behind, especially in New Zealand, are the ones on there. 
eight to $10,000 bike and their Lycra. Well, these guys weren't. They were on um, traveling bikes or touring bikes with big pannier bags, and they basically had the whole of this big traffic jam. And in the Coromandel in the summer, you don't expect to be traffic jams. And I looked at my partner, Jason, and I said, wow, that'd be a cool way to see New Zealand. And he said, well, I can't actually repeat on the podcast what he said, but it wasn't very polite. And instantly I looked at him and went, you know, that's right. I've cycled and there's too many hills in this country. And I, so he, he breathed a sigh of relief, I think. And then I looked out at the ocean and there was amazing, incredible blue um, day on the East Coast, which is the calm side of, of NZ. Uh, and I said, hey, you know what would be really cool? If you could kayak around this coastline, that would be just incredible. Well, uh, he just said, you're mad, you're crazy, and you're insane, and you'll die trying. Why would you want to? And literally at that moment, it was like a flashbulb in my head, and I went, you know, I want to do it. I, I, I really Can't. want to do it. And yeah, I, I think he might have said can't in there as well. And and so we, we we carried on a holiday, but it never went away. And I know after your summer holidays here, you know, everybody gets back for barbecues and the new year started. And, and a couple of times on those new years, people would say, oh, you know, I hate my job and I, I don't want to work anymore. And, and you go, what do you want to do? And I was like everybody else and said, well, I actually want to kayak around New Zealand, which was usually a moment where everybody in the room shut up and went, you're mad, you're crazy and you're sane and you will die. Um, and I used to say to them, well, you know me well enough to know you're, I'm mad, crazy and insane because I train more than any of you anyhow. So that just used to add fuel. Every time someone said you can't, it was like my parents telling me I can't. It's like someone saying you can't run a marathon. It's like, yeah, I can. It's one foot in front of the other. Uh, so it took... I said I was going to do it when I was 50, and I know I told an incredible boss of mine one day we were talking about what we'd do when we were 50, and I said, well, I won't be working for you. I'll be kayaking the coastline of New Zealand. And it was that probably the first time I really verbalised it with anybody outside of my friends, and he went, well, that sounds cool. He said, you know, I'll, buy, I'll, I'll help you buy your first kayak, because, guys, I didn't own a kayak at about 48. I just borrowed them from friends. Um, so he bought me my first kayak and then 50 came and went and I still wasn't doing it. So then I became a joke of, of the barbecues in the summer. So when are you going to kayak around New Zealand, you know, is it this year? And it was like, mm. you know, and like everybody, you, you always have a, um, an excuse because you really haven't got around to it. I had a mortgage. I had, yeah, it was just a, a dream. Um, and then one day, uh, uh, a few things had happened in my world. My son had um, been suffering from depression, drugs and alcohol abuse. And it was about time that I sort of went, I've got to do something for myself. So that year, um, when I got hit up at the barbecue saying, what are you going to do? When are you going to do this silly, crazy thing? You know, ha, ha, ha. I went um, October this year. <laughs> and I actually think my partner just about died as well because I hadn't told him. <laughs> I sort of plucked it out of the air and said, I'm doing it in October. It's a long weekend. I'm going to launch then. Um, and, and so I'd been training quietly um, for about a year on my own, trying to get my head around announcing it. And then that was it. I was off. I was doing it. Um, I think I told my boss a couple of weeks later that I was going to leave in the October and I was doing my challenge. And, and once you share it, 
um, for me, it's like you can't go back. It's like imagine say like for me, if you say you're going to run a marathon, you can never say I'm not. I haven't done it. You you've got to go and do it. You know, well that that's yeah. my mentality. You, you've got to go and Just do it. You that. voice it. Yeah, there's also a part of it that by saying you're going to do something, it gives you a slight sense of achievement by even saying that you're going to do it. It's almost like you get the dopamine effect of like saying, oh, I'm going to do that. And people go, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's a great, great idea. That's a, but then, and then you almost get a sense of achievement, even though you've not actually done anything yet. But then I think that the psychology around it that I've sort of looked into is that you're saying that I'm going to train to do it. And then you, you, in, you know how much you have to put in to actually then be able to achieve it. Because, I mean, this is just a, the logistics that must have gone into this and the planning and the training that had to, had to go into it. Like, you, you mentioned you spent about a year quietly training, but w- what did that look like? Um, well, well, firstly, just got to like, sort of agree with you on the fact that um, it's okay when you get the endorphins from people saying, yeah, what a great idea. I can name probably on one hand the people the whole entire trip that said, yeah, what a great idea. So one of my catchphrases is you're mad, crazy and insane because that's what I got. You're going to die. You're mad, you're crazy, you're insane. Uh, You can't do it. Um, So there wasn't much excitement, I can tell you. And I think even my partner was, he was one of the leaders saying, you're mad, you're crazy, you're insane. Um, but, but the training, well, I, I, I've always been an early bird and I've always been really motivated to get to the gym when the doors are opening and, 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 and boot yourself and, and the backside to get there early. So I used to do that, but I upped it to the fact no one had, you can't Google how to kayak or train around New Zealand. There's no training plan. So it was basically beat yourself up every day, see how much endurance you can get and um, then it's probably going to be tougher than you ever can imagine. So I used to start the morning by at 4.30 a.m. because I still had a full-time job. So 4.30 a.m. I used to start. I'd be outside the gym um, probably about 10 to 5, and I'd go for a warm-up run so that I didn't have to walk run, so I didn't have to warm up in the gym. So then I'd go and I'd do a a weight session, uh, and then I would leave there uh, on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I used to kayak after that for an hour or two, and then I'd go to work. I used to start work about 10 o'clock and work till like 8 at night. Um, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I used to do all of that, except kayak, I used to go swimming because I was uh, adamant that if I um, fell out of my kayak, then I had to be able to swim to the shoreline um, really well. Um, and also I used to learn Eskimo rolling with a friend of my, um, my um, how would I say, my... One of my girlfriend's dad was a Mad King kayaker and he basically taught me to Eskimo roll. So I spent 18 months upside down every Friday um, training with him. And Saturdays, it used to be four or five or six hours paddling um, and probably again on the Sunday. So that that was what I did. Um, did I miss a day? You- no. And you say, you said, Red, that you, there's obviously, there's no, there's no training plan you can look up for this sort of thing. But did you... Did you get in touch with the few people who'd, who'd attempted this sort of thing before? I, I, the person I used, I, I, I got a little bit of a circle. So to go and learn Eskimo rolling, this gentleman called Mike Scanlon, um, who I, I called my mentor um, in the end. He's a really gnarly little 
elderly gentleman. Um, I think he's around about 75 now, 77, but that's fine. So he was early 70s, and he'd go out and do 100 Eskimo rolls on his own on his birthday. So he's he's pretty pretty tough old dude. And I trained for a year with him. He's, he doesn't mind me calling him old. I trained for with him for a year, and I was too scared to tell him what I wanted to do. I was petrified of telling him because he on his garage, he's got this amazing um, all of the New Zealand map, and he's got it all pinned pinned where he's been on the North Island. He's never done the South Island, but I used to sit in awe. And one day we'd been freezing cold, and I'd been Eskimo rolling with him, and I thought oh, I've got to tell him and took a big deep breath and we were drinking um, hot soup and I looked up from my soup bowl and I said, Mike, I want to kayak around New Zealand. And he just, and I wanted him to say, wow, that's cool. That's amazing. I'll come with you, you know, because that'd be a lot easier to have someone guide me. And he said, I wouldn't even do that. And that's all he said. He just looked straight back down at his soup bowl and he carried it on. And I'm like, oh no. And I felt sick, but anyhow, he carried on. When I left that day, he walked over to his bookcase and he gave me two books. And he said, read these. These are Paul Caffins. And this gentleman is, a, is the iconic New Zealand guy who did New Zealand. He's gone on to do the UK um, in the 70s. And he said, read these and you'll never want to do them. So I took the books home and flicked through and looked at the really scary pictures and read a few chapters and went, well, that can't happen to me. <laughs> I don't really want to know about it. And I think it was about the November, um, the year before, like the 2014 or something. And I, in the January, I was back hiking with him. So I was saying, we'd, he, wouldn't, he didn't mention it one more time. And we were having a chicken soup moment again. And he looked at me and he said, so um, have you got a date in mind? And I, you know, so I told him my date. And he said, well, you've got a whole lot of work to do. And that was it. And so he became my mentor and he said also you can't um, you can't take the kayak, you're training and you've got to take another kayak. So that's when I got to know another one. And I another guy called Andy Warner who became my master. Um, yeah. So I got I had about four or five around me and that was it. Talking to the kayaking fraternity as I call them, they were pretty um, they were pretty tough on me because they didn't know me. So I wasn't one of their team. I wasn't one of their kayakers. So they were more, she's going to die. What she thinks she's doing. So, yeah, so I just think having a really, and so Mike sort of mentored me, uh, Andy Warner, who built my kayak. Um, he had helped or worked in the same factory that um, Grant had had his kayak built in or his rowing machine built in. So he knew a lot about endurance athletes and, and training and, Sometimes there's the text in the morning and it was pouring down the rain going, it's freezing cold and raining outside and he'd go, so? <laughs> That's the only message I used to get back. Or um, are you made of sugar was another one we took away with us. Are you going to melt out there? And it's like, oh, no. So, so yeah. So so that, Brad, that's, what, what, made you, what made you think you could do it? I mean, was, was it, did you realise through, through the training that you were going to have what it takes to be able to to do the full 6,000 kilometers? Or at, like, at what point did you realize, actually, I'm in with a really good shout of, um, of getting this done? Uh, this is a really weird, this is a really crazy one for me because um, um, I, I break everything down in life into day by day. So if you, even when I'm running long distance races, like if I just go, I've just got 10K to do today or 10K now, when you get to that number 10, you just re 
hit your watch again and you do another 10. And so for me, it was like all I did was focus on the, each day as I went. And I, I didn't focus on, oh, I'm getting to 180 and I, and I've, I haven't made my, my 180. I, I just did every day. And the fear of failure I knew would get me around. I don't like failing. If I announce I'm going to do something, I, I, I do it. Um, and that's why I was hesitant. You know, we were talking before about, about if someone says you can't do something. I now, as an older woman, <laughs> hesitate once in a while and go, oh, I'm not listening to this because, you know, I, I might start doing it. You know, if someone says I can't do something, it's literally been dragged to the bowl. I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, so, so when I was out there, it was literally day by day. Um, and the fear of failure, like my, my trainer said to me, if you just get to Tarong or if you get to the bottom of the North Island, not many women have done that. You should be very happy with yourself. And I said, Mike, that's failure. And, and I won't be able to live with myself. So, uh, you know, fear of failing or failing. There are a lot of people say, you know, you've got to fail to, to improve. And I did have failures along the way. Don't get me wrong, but I just learned from those failures and kept going forward. Um, and, Wait. yeah. No, 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 carry on. Sorry. Oh, and, and the other thing was, um, and I'll go back to the mental health side of things, because my son was suffering so badly from mental health, um, depression and drugs and alcohol, I said that, and I think everybody has to have a monumental butt, butt kick in their life to go and do that dream. Uh, and, and that was the monumental butt kick for me, um, what he was going through, what he was putting everybody else through, um, and, and not, not his fault, but it taught me to be really tough. Um, and those darkest days that I went through with him, with, there was nothing on the journey that can compare to it. Uh, so it was going out there to share with mothers and, and family members that depression's not just about the person suffering. It, it's like a grenade that goes off in your lap and, you know, everybody suffers from some kind of shrapnel that, that explodes. So, yeah, so that, that gave me a, a power of strength. It was, it was, it was empowering the moments um, that I took from that. What was, what was his take on it when you talked to him about doing it, your son? Um, he, he was extremely supportive and he helped me choose the charity uh, we raised, um, I raised money for. Um, and so, because he, he always believes that, um, that exercise was, you know, his positive days. Um, you get out there and exercise and you have fresh air and you have um, uh, that kind of adrenaline. It takes over from anything in, in your head. Um, it takes away the pain from your head and you can concentrate on the pain in your body, which is physical pain is a lot, I'm told, easier to deal with than mental pain. Uh, and did he actually join you for any parts of the journey? So it's a really good question and, and a lot of people find, find this quite a sad um, part of the story. Um, my son and I haven't uh, stopped speaking prior to my journey. Uh, that was through my choice um, because he continued on a downward slide and, and I was very much, um, the best word to call is enabling. So at 25, he was, I, I cut the um, emotional umbilical cord, if you like, and set him free. And um, yes, he did follow me because, you know, social media, you can see who follows me. Um, but we, we still sadly haven't spoken um, since the journey. And, and I can see these guys on video and both their mouths are wide open. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, so I, I, have, I believe he's extremely proud of me, uh, but, you know, some things you're always solo on. So hence the title of my book called Finding Solo. Yeah, I, I can, as someone who's, um, who's experienced um, both, like, depression and, uh, and uh, addiction, like, as within, like, around family, I can, uh, I can empathise you with it completely and um, completely understanding sometimes you've got to step away to allow them to... Mm to fix themselves right it can't um yeah it's difficult for um and i'm sure i'm sure like i'm sure he, he got inspiration from from what you've done and, and and so when you you actually took off from from auckland so you started mm-hmm. you um you actually started the challenge from auckland and you mentioned that your your uh, mentor said if you can make it down to the the bottom of the south island then you know not too many women have ever done that before um and I take it you were just you. You did have someone following you along the coastline. I, I, I take it um, you had yeah. like a support. Yeah, I, I did. You've got that right. I um, I basically thought well, there was a gentleman, um, and I followed him about a year earlier called Tim Taylor, and he he did it hard and went every, all the way around tenting and and living with or uh, being hosted by generous Kiwis along the way. And I always remember he got to the, he got all the way, three quarters of the way, he got to the top of the North Island. And then he got stuck on a, a notorious beach called 90 Mile Beach and, and time had run out for him. And he, he pulled the pin and he went back 18 months later and, and finished that section. But so I decided that I, I didn't want to live in a tent. You know, that would be pretty intense for 180 days as I planned. So I, I went, okay, well, my background's logistics and doing events, so let's, let's get a little camper van and have someone drive it for me and they can they shadow me and then the GPS tracker can follow me and, and I can get off the water at night and meet them. So you say I had a little camper van, but that was when you could find the road or and there were certain areas like the South Island and the Fiordland, there's no road access, so... And, and Stewart Island as well. Stewart Island, I was 11 days on my own. And then when I went into the Fjordland, which is the bottom of the South Island on the West Coast, I was 45 days on my own in a tent, um, hunting and gathering for food. Um, all the connection I had was a little GPS tracker that, that I was able to get um, 160 characters, messages, um, which was my weather forecast, 6 a.m. in the morning and 6 p.m. at night. Um, so that, that I, I paddled blind. I relied on my team to tell me when I could go, when I couldn't. So you, you said you, you set out thinking it was going to be 180 days. Where did that, I mean, so, so what's that, 6,000 kilometers, 180 days, 30 30 something K a day? Yeah. What, was yeah. That base, what was that based on? Was that just based on your, your fitness levels or? It based on I could come, come yeah, I <laughs> divide, well, I divided 5,000 kilometres because when I mapped out New Zealand, it was only 5,000 kilometres using my, my little mapper. So you divide 5,000 by 30 kilometres a day and you come out with 180 days. It sounded pretty cool. And it sounded achievable because of it. if I didn't nail a 30K day because of bad weather for a day or so, then I knew that, well, I, I assumed, and it's best to use the word assume, that I'd be able to make it up along the way. Um, and it's actually really interesting because just as I took off, and you'll have to help me because you guys are in the UK, there was some English woman who rode from the UK uh, all the way over to Australia, and they planned to do it in a certain amount of time, and they took double the amount of time to get across. 
And I, it must have for some reason it stuck on my head. And when I heard that, I went, well, 180 days comes and goes, took these four ladies double the amount of time, I, I'll be fine. So, so yeah, so that's where the maths came, as simple as, simple as that. Um, but 30K day became a, um, a soft day in the end. And then at what point, because I can imagine you started in October, it's in the mm. summer, and, um, and yeah, New Zealand summer's um, uh, beautiful, but also when so you start to go, in, when did you reach um, the sort of autumn and winter months? Whereabouts were you on the um, yeah, uh, I was on, in on the depths of the South Island. I, well, February, I was in the South Island in February, um, and I launched to go into Stewart, I'd gone to um, the Fiordlands. When I was went to Stewart Island, it was February, early February, and I was cold and I had a hot water bottle at night and a fire every night. So then I came up and in March, March I launched from um, the Bluff, which is the bottom of the South Island, and I headed across the base of the South Island into Fiordland. And by that stage, there was starting to be frost. I ne- we, I never planned to be on the west coast of the South Island in the winter, and, and I was. I spent the whole of the winter coming up the west coast of the South Island. I finished it in the August. So I started at the bottom in March, and I didn't pour my way out of there until August. Um, I think August the 14th or 15th, I, I finished at the top of the South Island. Um, it was cold. have been absolutely grim. Yeah, it was. It was because the weather turns and then the seven and eight metre swells that you can't go out on, you can't paddle on, and you've just got to sit and wait because the almighty Tasman throws itself at the West Coast all the time. Uh, and the cray fishermen, the fishermen were incredible. They, they gave me a lot of local knowledge um, and, and, and they, they were just the most incredible boys I've ever met in my life. They used to say, we don't want to see a dead red. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they 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 looked after me um, by giving me their knowledge, and and I absorbed it all, accepted it, and listened to it um, wherever I could. So yeah, it was grim. Uh, two pairs of of um, kayaking shorts, which are all padded, every single layer on top of that as as your top part, you know, pogs like gloves that go on your your oars, um, and I still could feel the cold water underneath me through the through the kayak padded seat. Um, and it was always in my head that if I fall in this side of the water, I've only got, you know, a minute I, before I need to get out and get back in my kayak and dry. Um, yeah. So I'm, we're sitting here in Singapore and I'm like shivering, just thinking about it. Like the very thought of it, that kind of cold just get, goes right to the bone. Just being, yeah. being in the water when, when it's that cold, you just... Yeah, your extremities, your fingers, your toes, yeah. like just being able to keep it warm is just grim. And the only way to keep it warm, I can imagine, is to keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah, to keep moving. Um, and and the, the other thing is, is that once you, your hands get cold, you've always got to have your pogs on because it's the wind chill factor. You know, your hands are cold. You've got wet because you're launching and normally you, you've been hit by a, you know, a bag of cement wave to get out. So you're already drenched before you go. You don't you don't have a dry dry launch, um, and so then you're you're sucking out water. And and then obviously every few hours because you're hydrating, you then you know you, you have to well you don't have to stop, but you are getting wet because the hydration doesn't has to go somewhere. 
So you have to, you know, you have to pee. <laughs> that's, that's the only bit where you're warm, right? <laughs> for, a mo- for a moment, you're warm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm actually, um, Axe was, I, Axe helped me out. I did a little kayak around Singapore. It was only, it was only 60 kilometers, not, not the 6,000 that you did, but he, he, he actually taught me how to like pee outside of the boat. But I can imagine when you're in the middle of the freezing cold, that's like, that's the last thing on your mind is getting a, getting a, um, your, your skin exposed and hang over the side of the boat. Well, with a little kayak, you, 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 you can't, uh, you can't, you know, and we always get onto the subject, you know, you, you can't sort of hang over the side of the kayak. So in the early days, yes, you used to pee in your clothing. But by the time I got to Stewart Island and Fiordland, I was like, well, if I'm here for 11 days or 45 days, I can't have urine soaked kayaking clothing because it's going to cause chafing and, 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 and whatever else. So I learned to pee into a very small plastic container and like I used to have yeah. to sit on it and balance and, you know, there's all of this stuff, sit on it and balance and don't fall over and hang on to your oar and you get very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my partner was horrified that I, you know, my ability. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Yeah. You, you mentioned that you practice a lot. I forget what the role is called where Eskimo yeah, um, role. Yeah. Eskimo role. Uh, did all of that practice um, come into uh, come into play during the actual challenge? I can imagine on that west coast you were hit by quite a few swells, and and then because if, if you're following the coastline, the swells are just hitting the side of you, right? So you're kind of having to zigzag against the swells constantly. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've got to keep quite a way out, um, so you've got no chance of any breaking waves. So you've got the swells underneath yeah. you as long as they're not breaking. Um, the roles, yes, I was I was good at Eskimo rolling. By the time I got to the West Coast, uh, as Mike would say, I, I had to turn myself into survival mode. And the waves have got so much force. I describe it like being hit by a bag of cement when you get smacked by one of those waves compared to the East Coast waves. It's like being, it's like a fluffy feather pillow, you know, just it's nice, nice water. Whereas the water on the West Coast, it just like, it, it, it pummels you. So... My Eskimo rolling um, did take a downturn and talking to another uh, elderly gentleman, we came to this decision, like, you know, you either, you can damage yourself really badly if you get your Eskimo roll wrong or if there's a rock underneath you or you ruin a shoulder, then I wasn't paddling. So I'd learned a few good few techniques where if you decide when you're coming in, it's going to be a disaster, then literally bail from your kayak. And I used to hang onto the back like a surfboard and wrap my legs around the tail of it um, and, and surf them like that. So it was my dart, and I used to keep it straight, and I used to come in. So I had no qualms about getting in the water and being level with the waves and going in um, that way. Yeah. Did, the, um, did the kayak make it round the whole way with you? No. <laughs> I, two stories. I killed – I named my kayak Thelma and Louise – which is probably a really bad idea because it's after that that, that like women with a death movie. wish. Yeah. So um, Thelma Lover Dearly was the one I trained in. She was a beautiful red kayak. And myself and my support crew, um, when we tied her onto the roof of the camper van and did a bit of a recce between the two of us, um, and I, 
someone didn't tie the kayak on correctly onto the roof rack and it flew off the roof at 80 kilometers an hour and that was in the first 30 days so you know how we talk about failure so i smashed a big hole in the bottom of thelma um louise i didn't really like that much um she was a much lighter kayak and we always planned just to use her on the fluffy east coast uh louise and i came to grief um a couple of times i ended up getting a massive black eye and a lump on my head and, and nicknamed her the White Witch and put her back on the roof rack. And Andy built me a new kayak uh, we called Thelma 2, uh, nicknamed T2. So she went with me from the really the 30 or the, the 40th day all the way around to the west coast of the South Island uh, to the base of Heafy Trap, you would have heard there. Um, you would have heard there's a great walk called the Heafy Trap on the west coast. It's North Island or north part of the South Island. And I did a really, really bad thing. It was one of my, probably my blackest moment. Um, and I smashed it onto some rocks. Um, yeah, and I, I completely blew the tail of it out. Um, and we were in a really remote area. And we had to portage or carry the kayak 15 kilometres back out along a, a really dirt track. Um, yes, so then I, Louise and I had to become friends and I finished the whole event. Um, they all became a friends, you know. It's, it's I think it's a classic female where you, like, name things. Um, and so Louise and I finished off. So my original white kite, yes, it did the whole journey with me, but my red ones didn't have much luck. That's amazing. Yeah, the attachment I can imagine you have with a vessel when you're, like, spending mm. that much time, and they're literally your lifeline, right? It's, yeah. uh, as you say, if you do, if you're, if, if they do smash up and you're, um, and you're out there, then, then yeah, it's, um, they, they, they are completely your lifeline. You, you had to cross the Cook Strait twice. Um, once on the, um, yeah, like, so you came, um, yeah, once sort of, crossing over down into the east coast of the south island and then yeah. crossing back onto the north island what um how did they go? i mean it's notorious as being like crazy swells through yeah. there and currents and um how did you manage it and what were the yeah w was it as tough as they as they make out did you have to wait a while before you got a weather window to be able to cross on both both directions yeah, the, the, the great thing, or the positive thing was in talking to Paul Caffin, who I talked to when I was going around about what I needed to do, say I kayaked the coastline, New Zealand, was I only had to do a, a one-way crossing. I only had to manage to get across Phobos, or, or Cook Strait and Fogo Strait, which is the one down to um, Stewart Island, once. So I, I lined up for Cook Strait, uh, the one between the North and South Island, and I'd already, always promised Mike Scanlon I would never, ever paddle that on my own. And I promised myself I wouldn't paddle it on my own either, um, just because, you, as you say, it's notorious. There's great big, um, you know, like, like the Dover ferries, there's great big ferries that go across there and they cancel these boats on a regular basis between the North and South Island. So I lined up to do it and Andy Warner, who built my kayak and was one of the most positive, excited people about what I, I, I was doing, had always said he wanted to do the, the cook straight with me. And I'd say, yes, I've got him and I've got a local who's done it a thousand times. Well, it ended up being Christmas Eve. And of course, everybody's really busy on Christmas Eve to go on the 24th of December and paddle the cook straight. Um, so the promise to Mike Scanlon didn't work and I paddled it myself. And I also, the weather panned out to be calm at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. So I launched and did the Cook Strait at night. 
which, you know, all plans never work, do they? So I, I did feel very sick to my stomach. Um, we had great faith in our weather uh, predict, predictors and what we were looking at on the screen. And, and we, again, it's logistics and planning. Um, we, we planned how long it's going to take to get across there. We had a really good idea at that stage, you know, my, 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 how many kilometres I could cover every hour, et cetera, et cetera. And I launched 2.30 in the morning. If there'd been any breath of air that I could have found an excuse not to go, I, I think I would have picked that moment to say, I, 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 no, I'm not going. It's too windy. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine moon. how scary that is, pushing off into a cross in the middle of the night into the pitch black, just knowing you're crossing one of the, although not a huge stretch of water, just, to, oh. yeah, it's... It's, it's 20, 28 Ks, 28 to 30 Ks. Um, had, uh, you know, as I say, I have one gentleman um, who's, who's an iconic paddler, um, done some amazing stuff, but very humble, and he said, look, you know, my first two attempts, I turned back because it was so bad. And I'm like, oh, great, fine. And so we planned it. It was going to be about five hours to get across, like so I could see the South Island and be able to land on some rocks or something. So every hour we still had phone coverage for the first, well, you had phone coverage the whole way across. So every hour, um, um, Jason pushed me off on that launch. And he used to phone me every hour and say, how's it going? And we planned for three hours. If it was still going okay at that three-hour point, I could bail and come back if, if the weather forecast was wrong out there and there were massive swells and I was being tossed about. Um, or I would commit and go across. And and I got to the three hours. You know, um, as Paul Cavan said, I was very blessed. I had one of the most beautiful, calm, ink nights I could ever have had. Yes, there were swells out there, but they were big rolling swells. Um, I had a full moon. Um, and the only error really was my nerves. I, I didn't really pull. I didn't. I did not pull my GPS out of my my, my um, life jacket. I just relied on a um, a lighthouse flashing. Well, with the current and everything, I ended up aiming at the wrong lighthouse, um, and I had to. I paddled an extra hour the wrong way before I realised and had to re-divert myself back to where I should be going. But yeah, I got across. Um, it, it was a big. I was so excited when I got to the South Island, just like, wow, you know, I've done something. I've done the Cook Strait and no one, many people just think that is the biggest thing they could ever do in their life. Um, yeah. yeah so and that's definitely. really only 25% of the journey in terms of the overall distance yeah. or maybe 30% or so. But then that is almost like a massive crux, isn't it? That's like a, if you can get, uh, and you only have to do it in one direction. I only had to do it in one direction. So you yeah. could get the ferry the other side. Yeah, I got the ferry coming back the other way. Um, yeah, and same with um, Fogo Strait. In fact, Fogo Strait's more notorious, um, has bigger currents. Um, it's just not so many people go down there. Um, and that is far more test of someone's skills doing the Fogo Strait. There's a, a narrower it's not as deep. The water's not as deep. So when I was traveling across the Fovo Strait from the South Island to Stewart Island, I was doing nearly 11 knots. I was covering over, um, normally I cover between seven kilometers an hour and I was covering 11 to 12 kilometers an hour going across there in a certain part of the current. So it is, it, you've got to get the currents right to otherwise you'd be like too far left or too far, you'd be like too far right out into the Tasman yeah, yeah so, so I was more scared so, of the Fovo Strait so that perhaps that was one of the scarier moments what what was your 
what was your lowest moment on the way, do you think? I mean, you said, you said earlier that you, 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 don't, you don't like being told you can't do something, but were there any moments where you just thought, I, I've bitten off more than I can chew here, or this is, this is just not, this isn't happening? Um, that's a re- really, really good question. And I, I can say with my hand on my heart, and actually cross my heart, um, to say that the fear of failure was like a cup of cold vomit in the bottom of my stomach. And there was a never a moment where I was like, that's it, I'm giving up. When I smashed T2 tail, I was beyond gutted. Like that was the moment where, and 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 all the listeners have got to take this with a, a grain of salt, or a, a, yeah, a grain of salt because I literally spoke to Nat on the phone after I got back. I'd hiked. It was you know nine o'clock at night, and we had to we walked all the way out with my kayak or my gear, and I said to Nat on the phone because I you know, had to share with someone that I'd smashed my kayak. Uh, and I said, this is the closest I've ever been to wanting to go and smash my head against a tree and self-harm myself because I'm feeling so painful. And, and I don't, I feel so much pain in my head because of a mistake I've made and there's no one else to blame. I want a physical pain instead of the mental pain that, I, that I'm going through here. Um, and, 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 and how did, how yeah, did you so come back from that? By talking to the fact of... of you know, those, I call them small fails, you know, and we all, it was a monumental fail at the time, but it taught me so much. And we all get knocked, you know, it's like life, we all get knocked off our pedestals. And we all, we all make mistakes. No one gets through this life without making a mistake. And I went, you know what, just find that big, deep pill and go, so are you made of sugar? Get going. Because can you face the critics going, told you she couldn't get round? Oh, and I had, I had quite a good amount of um, naysayers by that stage. So, <laughs> so they, were, they were my fuel. They were, they, they were amazing. You know, whenever I was allowed to read that she's never going to make it, they were my fuel. I was like, you want to you know this? You just watch me make it. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's how I came back from it was like, I, I can't go, oh, I've broken my kayak and, yeah, you're right, it's too tough. Well, no, you're not right, and I'm doing it. Um, but there was a whole lot of, uh, there's a picture in the book where I was sitting on the beach and I was waiting for the waves at that area, um, and there's a really bad word written in the sand. Uh, and that, that's what I basically had to say a lot of the time. You know, there was, there was a, I don't have a, I have a bad language when I'm out there, you know, it can be a little bit rough. So I'm yeah, sure, you just got to climb sure. back. You got to climb back on the horse. You know, it's like again. You know, I I, I wear a, a black brace wrist bracelet, and I still wear it to remind myself of how tough um, life was dealing with um, the depression grenade and what families go through. Um, and I used to look at that every time I had a tough day, and go, you know what? Is this as tough as what you went through? No. I, I'm reading a book at the moment, um, Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzgerald, how, how Bad Do You Want It? And it just mm. talks about yeah. the sort of mental fortitude you need to do with endurance sports. And I think that to do something of this scale is like, it, it's always so much to do with the just mental fortitude of just continuing every day, just getting to the next point every day, just getting to the next point, I can imagine. Um, yeah. and like physically, you know, you, you know, cause you've done it for the past 
whatever 300 days already you know physically you can get there but it's just like mentally just willing yourself to do it i can imagine was the um yeah yeah and and there's no one no one else you can um you know you have your own your cold cup of vomit in the bottom of your stomach but you've got to keep it down there because if you start sharing it with others everybody else is really good at um wrapping their arms around and go yeah there no you don't have to do it you know it's okay you can get up now if you like and it, it, when you're an endurance athlete, it's actually not what you need. You know, you don't, you don't want those soft, cuddly things around you because it, it doesn't work for you, you know. Um, you have your own nemesis that you're dealing with. So I think as an endurance person, you surround yourself with people who, who understand how you tick, um, understand what makes you go forward and what makes you dig your heels in and go, uh, um, and, and, and there's things that I, I, you spend a lot of time on the water, obviously, so you, you think a lot about things, and I used to always, and I, I used to talk to Andy, um, who became, like, we called him my master, um, and I used to say to him, Andy, you know, like, if I decide I'm out there and I said I'm going to do a 50K day and, and plan A, B, and C have worked and I get to the 50K, if I decide I want to do another 20 one K's paddling, which is sort of three hours at my speed. I'm okay with that. And if it turns to shit out there in those three hours, I'm okay with that because there's no one else to blame. But if my support crew or someone else sent me a message and say, hey, I reckon you should do another 20 K's up, up there. It's not too, not too far. I used to get this really, I see this glimmer of red in my head and I just go, how dare they say that? You know, they don't even know what I'm going through, you know, and, and I, they used to push the wrong button, just just how they would say it. Um, and, and we laugh about it because Natalie, my support crew, she was with me for six months. And I remember one day she said to me, and I think I'd done, you know, um, three days of 60, I used to do 50 and 60K days. And she used to say to me, well, you know, it's not like running a marathon, is it? You're sitting on your ass all day. <laughs> 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 I actually had to go and talk to my master. I had to ring him up away from the camper van and go, do you know what she's just said to me? <laughs> but, you know, that, that's what people, some people say. You know, I know when I was doing, she was incredible. When I did Stewart Island, she said, well, it's only 270 Ks. How many days does it take you to do that? If you do, you should have got her to jump in Louise and come and do it, do some of it herself, then put it into perspective. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but you know, people say it in all innocence, really, really and truly. They, they you yeah. know, they, they don't know. Um, but, but it literally goes back to day by day. And my darkest day, I can hand on heart say, was when I broke T2. Um, and it was, it was all my fault. You know, yes, it was the ocean. I read the ocean wrong. I broke a promise um, with my support crew. You know, I, I, I got uh, to one moment to bulletproof and uh, Mother Nature gives you a really good slap on the head a couple of times and then she really slaps you hard. And if you don't listen from it, um, you will fail. Right. Yeah, I, I always say pride comes before a fall. When you when you think yeah. you're doing really well and you're patting yourself on the back, that's yeah. the exact moment before everything turns to shit. It is. <laughs> it it definitely it. is. And and in my book, when I was writing it, it's amazing. You have a really big high, and then you know, just a few pages later, you've just you've just you know fallen off a, of something or you've done something, and you're going, oh, why did that happen? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so Red, you um, you finished um, it was in twenty twenty seventeen towards the end of twenty seventeen. Um, what um, yeah, like what was the feeling once you once you completed the journey? What was the? Mm-hmm. You must have like come into Auckland to a huge fanfare and uh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I was really sad. Um, the, the I, I know when I I, I promised myself. When I got to the top of the North Island, um, from the west coast of the North Island, going around um, Cape Reinga, as, as everybody knows, it's where the meeting of the seas, so the Pacific meets the Tasman. And, it, and it's an incredible place up there. And I promised myself I actually would lift my head and give myself a pattern on the back when I managed to get around Cape Reinga. Because the, the North Island, you think the South Island's bad, the North Island of New Zealand on the west coast there is less than five of us who've actually paddled that, that coastline. No one goes near it. It's, um, it has um, six to eight um, sets of breakers when you launch from your beach every day to get out past. Um, it comes straight from Australia from the, Tas- in the Tasman Ocean, so there's nothing um, breaking. And there's very few, very few beaches to land on. So... I, after my lesson, when I broke my kayak and I got to the bottom of the North Island, I, I set a plan in place and I said I had 16 paddle days to get up and around Cape Rang and I wasn't breaking from that plan. I had 10 bad launches and bad landings that I was going to have to suffer. Um, I had two of the worst, most notorious um, harbours, males to get across in the, in the South Pacific, Manukau and the, the um, Kaipara. And the other few days I had nice launches and nice landings and then I was allowed to celebrate. Uh, and that's how um, logistically I attacked that coastline. Um, it, it, some of it's called the surf highway and only the, 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 the hardy surfers go that side. Everybody else goes to the lovely east coast side. Um, and yeah, I did 60 and 70k days whenever I got on that water. Um, and so when I got round to Cape Reinga, I, I stopped there and I had one more paddle day, a record paddle day of 85, nearly 86 kilometres down to a harbour. And I had to wait for a couple of days for a weather window and, and Mother Nature gave me this weather window of five days. And I put my foot down from a, a little place called Hohora Harbour, which is right at the top of the North Island. And within five days I was home. Um, and I was sad. I was so sad that I'd already said to my team, I just want to focus on the day. It's not my last day. And when I finished, yes, there was a lot of fanfare and the TV cameras were there because it was the 31st of January. It was New Year's Eve as well. Uh, 31st of December, sorry. So we're going into a new year. Um, and we packed up the camper van and I left Auckland and went camping for um, six or seven days to get my head around returning to the city. Yeah, that, that readjustment must be hard, right? I mean, you, you, you sort of, you spent a year plus, what is it, almost a year and a half, a year living life at a sort of just a higher intensity than, than you do normally. And then to suddenly yeah. be dropped back into almost like civilian life must have been quite tricky. <laughs> I do remember we've got this lovely um, hill climb that goes back into Auckland, um, like the motorway, and it was the Bombays, and I sat in the passenger seat, and I just had tears pouring down my face, going, I, I don't, you know, I love my house and everything, but I, I don't want to go home, I, I don't want this journey to to end, this odyssey, um, 
And yeah, it probably took me, I would say I still not adjusted really. Um, I look at the world completely differently. I look at life as I have a first world problems and I have third world problems. And I think 99% of our stress is, is first world problems that we create. And the 1% might be a third world issue. So I, I do look at things a lot differently. Um, I, I used to work in a very stressful um, event and logistics um, role. And I, I chose not to go back to that because I, I you know, you can't walk the walk. What is it? You can't talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk as well. So I, I will do a part-time um, job now as well as I go around and um, motivate and talk at schools and hopefully get one or two New Zealand kids to become another Sir Edmund Hillary. Um, or, you know, go and, go and chase their dreams. Um, and someone asked me a question the other day and said to me, what would you diff do differently about your career? And I said, I'd start to be an adventurer way, way earlier than, than, than when I started. Um, that, that, that's one thing I would definitely change. Yeah, well, there's still plenty of adventuring left in you. I mean, there's, um, yeah, there's, you're still in the prime of your, of your adventuring career. So, I mean, with that, what, what is next? Have you been, have you been thinking up any other, um, any other adventures? What's, uh, what's well, doing in your mind? Well, you know, it's quite interesting. Like when I first got back, there was absolutely um, not a lot. Um, and then people, people started suggesting a book and, I'm, I'm not the biggest book person. I wrote a blog every single day I was away, 432 days of blogging um, in my, in, on my website, and I wrote a blog. I didn't miss a day. So we, I turned those blogs into a book, which was far more challenging, I've got to say, than actually paddling. Um, and so I've got that of it. But talking about adventures, there was nothing really because it was so huge, you know, so someone would say, you know, do you want to run a marathon? It's like, I've done it. It's only 40 Ks. It's like, how many hours of pain is that? It's not a lot. Um, so you realize all of a sudden that your pain level and your, your endurance and, and what your body needs for that fix is, um, is something you can't recreate. So I've tried to recreate it. Um, the, the, the exhaustion you feel after being on the water for 17 hours paddling, mentally and physically, you can't ever recreate, and I've had to accept that. So I've run a couple of, um, I've been doing some off-trail running. I've been doing so 50, 50, 70K runs. Um, but I've, I've realised that I have a slightly obsessive personality, and um, I best pull that back because all of a sudden you start looking at 100Ks, 100 miles, and, and there's more to life for me at the moment than spending 8, 10, 16, 18 hours pounding the pavements. Well, you'll end up like Vero, who is a recent podcast guest who's, uh, who's run the full length of Japan and is planning yes. to run the full length of Africa now. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I'm sure there, I'm sure you're still um, there. Yeah, you, you must have some pretty, uh, some yeah, ideas in there and a bit of a bucket list of things you want to check off. Yeah, I, I do have that bucket list, but, you know, as, as I said, you know, the moment you share it, then all of a sudden it, <laughs> it takes on a new form. Yeah, so, the, yes, there's a few things at the back of the brain that, like, you know, flicker on and off. Um, I, I'm still hankering to leave the city and go and live a, a much more remote um, lifestyle. Um, so now my book's done and I will, um, I will try and do a... Um, a 
Oh, an audio book um, by the end of the year. Uh, and then once those are ticked off, I, I've sort of got a few little plans in place. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. This is, there's actually a cycle race or ride from the top of New Zealand to the bottom of New Zealand, which I've mentored a couple of people to do. So I actually wouldn't mind doing the central. There's a few hills, you know, remember? <laughs> I wouldn't mind just ticking touring back down New Zealand. I just like being a nomad. You know, give me anything, you know, and maybe I'll take my dog, my new blue hair, and we'll just walk the coastline. <laughs> I just, just want to keep moving forward. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah, I've heard like they're doing the sort of from the north to the very south, and the hardest part of that is probably crossing uh, the Cook Strait. And you've already, you've already knocked that one off. So, um, so, so, yeah, I'm sure you could uh, do that a second time. But I mean, what an amazing, uh, amazing story, Lynn. And, um, and yeah, you've um, writing a book. I'm sure was an endurance feat in itself. So um, oh. yeah, we've, uh, um, and we, I'm looking forward to to getting stuck into that as well. Yeah, really inspiring, Lynn. Oh, thank uh, you, thank you. I, I you know, I, I, as I say, I'm very humble, and I, and I don't. Someone said to me when I was away on the trip, there's more people climb Everest every year than what you've achieved. Way, way more. Um, so I, I have to, you know, put it up there. Yeah, it's the Everest of kayaking, um, and I'm, I'm really proud to have done it. I still don't understand why a lot more people don't go and do it. Uh, maybe it's just because we're connected to the Matrix and um, we don't realise it. So I just advise everybody to get off the Matrix. Hard because it's bloody hard, Lynn. And, and you know what? Most people can't do it. Like, honestly, like, I know that no that's that true to your fans. <laughs> But, no uh, I tell you what, yeah. it, it's an unbelievable feat of endurance to have um, to have done that that full circumference yeah. of both North and South Island, and um, and yeah, you must be immen immensely proud. And like I'm, I've got a feeling there's a few things going to be coming up over the next few years, and um, yeah, look forward to uh, look forward to following your uh, your your future exploits. Oh, thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. It's like, it's great. It's great to talk to other people who enjoy it and are inspired by it. Because some people, some people blank over it. It's far too much for them to even, even understand or comprehend. You know, their excitement is to go to a shopping mall. Um, and, and that's their endurance event. Whereas me, it's like, oh, you might as well shoot me in the head. <laughs> so, well, that's, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the that's the mm -hmm. point of all of this. I mean, we you know just sharing your story as you've been doing um, and and as you've done today is just it's fantastic because I think even if it just inspires one or two more people to yeah. to think differently about how they push themselves or what challenges they might take on, then uh, you know you've done yeah. you've done a great thing in doing that. Yeah, and and the one thing that did stick with me was um, there's a gentleman that that um, Axel knows, um, Scott Donaldson, who managed to kayak from the Tasman. It was his third attempt, the Tasman from Australia to New Zealand. Um, recently, it was la last year. Last year he, he landed. It was his third attempt to get across. And he's got a really good saying that he gave he gave to me, and he said, "You've got to ask yourself every single day how much are you willing to sacrifice." sacrifice to achieve your dream and I tell you what I repeated that a lot it's it's like how much do you want to sacrifice you know like it, it, it's all or nothing you know how much do you want to sacrifice to have a six-pack how much do you want to sacrifice to get around New Zealand it, 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 I repeat that a lot um yeah so Scott Donaldson like stuck on my head a lot yeah that's amazing well Lynn thank you so much for joining us and uh, and yeah we're excited to be able to see uh, uh, see what you're up to in future but yeah inspiring story uh, appreciate you sharing it
Oh, thank you so much. Enjoy reading the book. And um, I'll, I'll talk to you again, I'm sure, sometime soon. And if I decide to do something in your part of the world, I'll definitely let you know when they open up the borders again. Awesome. Thanks very much, right. Lynn. See you later. Uh, Bye. Cheers. It's like the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Things ain't that bad. Hello, Mr. Rick Stockfish. How's it going, sir? Good, Scott. How are you? Very well, mate. We've had a very pleasant morning, haven't we? Exploring Pulat Ubin off the northeast coast of Singapore. Yeah, a uh, huge 14 kilometres, which puts uh, Red's efforts into some perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's pretty tough as well on the, on the stand-up paddle boards. And, uh, and yeah, I was just thinking as we... Uh, as we came round the east coast of Pulubin Island and started to to hit a bit of a, a bit of a breeze, let's just say it was just a light breeze, and uh, and can just imagine what it must have been like tackling that um, that west coast of uh, of New Zealand with just being battered with uh, wind and rain uh, up that coastline. Absolutely crazy, crazy achievement from Red there. Yeah, it really is, and uh, I think. Um she uh, she plays it down and she's very humble about it, but it's absolutely uh, absolutely astounding. Yeah, just uh, I think I forget how long she said that she um, took it. It took her again. It was um, it was over a year, wasn't it? It was like, um, um, and so she was the um, only person to have done it in one continuous route without uh, without sort of going home and having a break in between. Yeah, and I think that sort of thing can become quite a life shaping, even life defining experience you know for her she'll always be the person who did that and that's quite a quite a, an amazing thing to have done and and, and it almost gives you a, a new chapter in your life um and as she said and, and we were uh, we alluded to when we were talking to her you know there's a <laughs> the only problem is it then begs the question of what's next yeah you know and 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 you know ultra runs and things like that don't really cut it when you've done something that's taken up well i mean not just a year of her life i mean she's been talking about it for what the best part of a decade yeah um, yeah, and she does say when she finishes it, it's like she was like sad and upset. And I think that often happens when you when you finish a challenge that's been a lifetime's work. It, it, there's this uh, certain feeling of yeah, it's done now. Like what have I what have I got to to go for? But um, yeah, another thing that I picked up was the the when people tell told her she can't do it. I think it's a it's a really interesting psychology about that. And I actually, I'm, I sort of kind of think about it in parenthood as well. I like to say to my son, no, you can't do that. No chance. And because I actually do think it's a huge motivator for people. It has been for me in the past. Like I, I remember when I said, oh yeah, I was going to do the Everest thing on a bike. I remember a couple of people was like, nah, you know, you can't do that. Nah, no, you won't be able to. And I'm like, right, well, I'm bloody going to prove them wrong now. But um, yeah, uh, it's definitely fuel to the fire. Yeah, and maybe that's the, the counterweight to what you were saying. I thought it was quite interesting what you were saying about the, that, the studies that show that just once you sort of vocalise what it is you're planning to do, in some ways you get the dopamine hit that you get from doing it in the first place. Um, and it can, almost, it can almost kind of just satisfy you at that point and maybe you never end up doing it. So, um, yeah, perhaps people, perhaps people doubting you is, is what you need to, to see something through like that. Yeah, like just a um, yeah, a great challenge. The other th- thing that I picked up from there is she going across to Stewart Island off the uh, off the south um, south coast. Is it Nelson at the bottom? I forget the um, bit at the bottom. Yeah, and like 
you know, it's not part of the challenge, but it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to add that on. And, uh, you know, her, her sort of coach and the people that were follow, like um, helping her through, it, like she didn't tell a few of them until she set off. Um, but yeah, just to add a, an extra few days and I forget exactly how many kilometers it was, but like a, it, some pretty treacherous water down there. So yeah, it's impressive very impressive yeah and we've said it before but we and we know that kiwis are made of, of different stuff what, with with red and nathan and uh will hayward and people like that and but axe and you know yeah. yeah but i think i mean it, it, what i think is quite nice about it just i mean i know she did it a few years ago but it's it's quite a nice time to be talking about this sort of thing because everybody for the last six months has been sort of forced to look in their own backyard for what sort of adventures they can have and, and it's a nice reminder obviously New Zealand's pretty exceptional when it comes to what you can do there but um, you know she found a way to do something at home that no one had ever done before so yeah, it's quite well, inspiring I mean, I mean she, uh, yeah it had been done but obviously she was the, I think she's the first person to do it in a consecutive and I think one of the first or second female to do it as yeah. well um, talking about um, about backyards um there's the uh the backyard ultra series coming up very soon which is going to be kicking off in multiple locations across the globe and uh in our like fair little island uh little red dot jerry from red dot running and uh fat bird events is um is going to be running a uh a backyard ultra along the uh the the east coast beach in singapore with an unbelievable lineup, actually, it's um, but yeah, that's going ahead in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Is it the seventeenth? Seventeenth, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's at least here. It's a, it's just like a who's who of Singapore ultra running, isn't it? Um, including some former guests of, on the podcast, like Abby. Yeah, we've got Abby and Hung Wei, who we've had on before. But we're we're going to be doing um, a sort of pre um, yeah pre race pre challenge uh, interview with a few of the uh, a few of the attendees coming up in there. In, in the next couple of weeks um, but yeah i'm looking forward to to following and and watching that there's 15 competitors jerry seems to think that they're, they're all they're all strong um so yeah i mean we can talk about after that one who we think we're going to put our money on after we speak to a few people and hear what their strategies are and uh hear how up up for it they are but i mean we, I, I don't know all of them really well, but it's hard to look past Abby and Hung Wei. Like I think Hung Wei, with his experience of, he's never gone past at 24 hours, but you just know he could, <laughs> and you know his his experience of doing that kind of um, the same route over and over again and doing the the 24 hour track race track routes. Yeah, I, I fancy, I fancy yeah, his chances. Yeah, I mean, but you know, Abby done. Yeah, what was the, the the Chiang Mai one he did? Two thirty. Yeah, I mean, this it depends how long it goes, like you said, and and as you said, we were talking about it earlier. The the heat is a bit of a factor here, but everybody who'll be running here is used to that, um, and in theory they'll be able to cool off in between. So um, it'll really just be the the daytime sessions that that that, that has an impact. Yeah, that will definitely have a factor as we look, think about how they rank, how people rank globally. Because um, yeah, I mean, if you're it's starting to cool down in Europe right now and, and the US, so that if you're thinking of competing, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that the fastest time globally will come out of Singapore. But you know, I, I think there's a good chance to get sort of a 36 hour is um, is definitely within the realms of possibility potentially pushing towards 48 but ah oh, i mean it's just so tough in singapore in fact 
um, there's uh, um, uh, Philip um, Daniels going to do a 200 kilometer run around the island in in Singapore, which I'm not sure if I've, I'm not sure if it's been done before. In fact, for some reason, I think Ned Phillips actually has done it before. Need to, he's he's going to be um, he's one of the uh, um, competitors for the backyard ultra that we're going to get him on to the, the sort of pre-race chat. But I think he has actually done a um, around the island. But yeah, that's going going on this this weekend. Once again, taking on challenges on your doorstep. It's uh, it's good to see. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we can. Uh put some some further thought into our own one and get yeah. that up and running soon well definitely being out on the SUPs going through the mangroves on Paloovin, um yeah we're um we're we're coming up with some ideas to get a, an endurance asia challenge in the in the new year so um yeah watch this space but um yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited to um to to put together we've got a really good route in mind so that should be um should be should be fun yeah and we've got some more chats coming up very soon we've had a good we're speaking of race organizers and events we've had a chat with uh veronica from asia trail girls talking about the the vertical challenge that they put on um and uh chris vandervel from asia trail master so talking about you know what happened with their season and, and where they go from here so um looking forward to to getting those out yeah yeah just lastly i know it's not asia and it's but it is definitely endurance i'm not sure if you had a chance to um to catch uh, the Tour, Tour de, de France, France. Yeah. it was just what an epic, epic finish to it. The um, yeah, the the sort of uh, final time trial. Um, I didn't follow it as um, as religiously as I have done in previous years, but um, but yeah, definitely sort of caught the uh, caught the time trial and on the, the end, and uh, just an yeah, an unbelievable ec- epic performance uh, like those. Those uh, Eastern Bloc, it's the Slovakians, right? They were, they both, yeah, they were, um, they were both. Um, yeah, both I think so. And, and I mean, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a blow, isn't it? Because everyone that's into endurance sports takes solace in the fact that it's supposedly something that you kind of get better at with age. But you know, I think he's the youngest Tour de France winner in history. Yeah, he's twenty four, twenty one, I think. And he's twenty one. It was yeah. ridiculous. I knew he had the white, <laughs> the the white jersey. And, uh, yeah. Ah, oh, we can still look at Nathan and look at him and be forty-eight and yeah. still <laughs> and still like one of the best in the world. We, there's still hope for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's someone like Nathan who takes twenty years off doing eco challenge and then comes back and wins it again. So we were just chatting about that actually, weren't we? We were just um, yeah, the fact that he it was eighteen years in between sort of winning the previous eco challenge and then winning the next one, and uh, and then I like yeah, I reminded like. Uh, um, Redgrave and Pinson, the, um, the rowers in the Coxes Four in, um, for Great Britain. They, I think they won first in, um, what would it have been, um, 92 would have been the first one. Um, no, no, sorry, yeah, yeah. And, um, but yeah, they, I think they won like four or five uh, Olympic golds in a row. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's longevity in endurance sports, although saying that that kind of rowing is uh, is all out but there's definitely an endurance aspect to it but um nice one rick we um yeah looking forward to to getting the um the backyard ultra crew on the next uh, uh in, in the next couple of weeks yeah and you'll be uh, you'll be off in your travels yes really soon yeah i'm heading uh, heading to us so yeah, um, yeah i might share a little bit more about that but yeah i'm, I'm going to be off the grid a little bit so um yeah looking hoping you're gonna have to yeah we'll We'll, we'll still keep, keep getting the content going. out. Yeah, yeah. We're still, we're still like fortnightly, every two or three weeks. We'll, we'll still have a, a podcast coming over the next few weeks, and we've also got some uh, yeah other good ones lined up. So excellent.
good. Talk to you soon, mate. Cheers. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.